we've all made mistakes in our lives. God knows I've made mine, but I hope that the mistakes that I've made in my life have taught me and helped me to become where I am today. I think when you have personal experiences with things, that is what guides you and moves you forward to want to do the right thing. Welcome to Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor, and this show is here to support your interest in center-right politics, policy, and breaking news. Listen in and discover how to awaken your inner ideal candidate. And if you're ready, how you can jump in and change the world as a runner or a supporter. Welcome to Political Contessa. If you or a friend have ever considered running or you know a woman who should, I've got something just for you. My quick guide called Secrets from the Campaign Trail. It will show you five signs to tell you you're ready to enter the political arena. To get these tips and learn about all new podcast episodes and ways to get involved, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Political Contessa. I am Jennifer Nassor, the Political Contessa. Today, I have with me a phenomenal, experienced, well-read, amazing woman that I am so excited is running for Congress in Massachusetts. She's a retired Air Force colonel, public servant, civic leader, healthcare executive, and veteran with a unique combination of skills and global perspective. Julie Hall is a senior healthcare and business operations executive with 30 years and more of experience providing services both domestically and internationally. As a highly effective leader with a proven track record of success who has extended her business and leadership experience to the private sector as well as the public. Julie is mother of Michael and Emily Hall, a U.S. Army veteran and grandmother to Dexter which I still can't believe because she looks like she's 35. (laughs) I am. (laughs) Please welcome Julie Hall. Julie, thank you for coming on today. It is always an honor. And I I like the fact, the empowerment, anytime there's an opportunity for the empowerment of women, I am there. And you, you heard from my biography, I consider myself to be sort of one of the leaders and the pioneers, at least in the military, for empowering women Uh, We did not have a lot of uh, opportunities, I would say, and a lot of expectations. We did not have a lot of expectations when I went into the military as a woman. And, you know, this is a very, very strong male environment. I don't know if there's many more. You know, you get on the police force, the fire department. I talk to a lot of women in the fire department, police department. We see eye to eye on a lot of things. So I am really honored to have this opportunity to speak. And, uh, you know, we've been silenced. We get silenced so many times. And now I hear, here I am, a Republican. <laughs> I'm going to try to silence me again, but <laughs> that's not going to happen. 
I know. And being a Republican in Massachusetts is definitely not the easiest thing to do where we have a party registration of under 10%. And, um, you know, it feels like we're consistently getting kicked in the teeth over here. However, you are taking on, you decided to run for office. So walk me through, I mean, you have this amazing military career. and, And, you know, one of the things I wanted to say in the beginning was that you're so strong. And, you know, so many times where we as women say, she is so strong, right? It's emotionally strong. It's mentally strong, but you are literally a badass. I mean, <laughs> being, <laughs> being a veteran, being in the military and surrounding yourself in that, in that environment in, at a time where, you know, women were not really looked upon as, as highly, um, you know, and still we see women slowly getting more higher and higher up the ranks, but what made you decide Hey, you know what? I feel like I want to get kicked in the teeth a little bit more. I want to run for office. office. Why did you decide? Okay, so I think that that's great. That's a great way to describe it. What I went through in the military and the challenges that I did overcome as a woman in the military. Now, just to give this a little uh, preface, I started at the very bottom of the military ranks. I was an airman. That's where you start. That's the enlisted corps, and made my way through got my master's degree, my bachelor's degrees, and made my way up the ranks, which is kind of unheard of because usually when women came in at the time that I came in, which was the early 80s, the expectation was we were going to find our husband and that's the reason why we were there. And then we would get out or have babies or do whatever. Um, I came in and wanted to go to college. I came from a very large family, a middle-class family. And when you ask why I'm running, that is my platform. I am here to represent the middle-class people. We have a lot of elitist politicians that are very affluent, that are running this country. And I just feel that they don't understand how their decisions affect people like myself. So that's one of the reasons. And when I look back as to how I became a colonel and how I did so well, it is because the choices that we have as middle-class families to send our children to college. When you have a large family, normally it airs to the, the males in the family. And I sort of said, I saw the writing on the wall that said, if you don't figure out a way to do this, you're probably not going to go to college. I went to community college right here in Massachusetts. I went to Massasoit Community College. I can't say enough about community college. I can't say enough about vocational schools. You'll find that I'm a huge advocate for both of those things. Small business, I see that all working together as part of my platform because, again, it's a very middle-class, working-class, blue-collar family orientation. So I did make it through from the bottom ranks all the way up the top. And, yes, there were challenges. There was a time in the military, and some of you will remember this, and I relate this to some of the other you know, cultures that have felt that they've been stereotyped and kept down, women were not allowed to participate in, you know, they weren't allowed to deploy. And people asked me, and I used to talk about this when I got out of the military, they said, why would you want to? I said, well, the reason why it's not about want, it's about a senior leader who sees that when people deploy, they get these little badges, they get these extra ribbons, and those ribbons that they earn go towards points for promotion. Points for promotion goes towards pay. So if you think about this, this is just another way to, to create an inequality in pay between the men and women in the military. I came in the military because I felt that this was the place that I would be treated most equitably because I would be paid from my rank. But I 
began to understand very quickly that there were certain privileges given to men because of this. And I fought against that. And I went through those kinds of things. And I think sometimes just the mere presence of hanging in there and not being run off by the sexual harassment, which is rampant. And, you know, I have to say, I'm very disappointed as I come back out to the civilian sector, if you would, and start running for office and find out that some of that opinions about women and the way they think is, is worse, almost. I think that people have a false security about the laws that they're supposed to have to protect them. And that I believe that is a false security because you can't change people's hearts. It's very hard. You can put all kinds of laws into place and they do help because obviously they help someone like me. There was a time, as we remember, women couldn't vote, for goodness sakes. So I do have empathy with a lot of these groups that feel they've been oppressed throughout the years. However, I was able to succeed. And as a middle-class, working-class woman, I was able to succeed. That is the American dream. That is why I'm running for office. That is why I fight, because I want people and my grandson, my new grandbaby, just had a new grandbaby. I want that grandbaby to have the same opportunities that I had to be able to move forward. I'm at a point in my life now, I have a pension and I'm able to get out here and do have the time to get out here and campaign. But I think the bigger thing is I've served my country. My son, my daughter-in-law are both Afghanistan veterans. My whole family, I just, this just dawned on me the other day, that my whole family has served this country, put their lives on the line to serve this country. What else can I do but continue? I, I can't, it's not even a question. Absolutely. And, and I mean, I think that that having that inside of you, right. And that love for the country makes you see things in a different way. It makes you appreciate the country and it makes you fight for us. And thank you for, you know, from us to you for, for your service um, and your family. So we see you hit on so many things and I was, I was writing stuff down as you were talking. Cause I'm thinking, ah, oh, this is exactly the conversation um, that I want to have about what, what motivates a woman to run for office? What is, what is that thing inside of you that says, I want to serve my country or there's an issue, right? We see what happened in New, Jer- in New Jersey and in uh, Virginia this past election cycle where parents were coming out all over the place because of masking the kids and all the mandates and, and things that they're being taught in school. And, you know, and so that's one reason. The other reason is the love of public service and serving your country, um, which I, I feel like you are so about, I mean, everything about you is, you know, that, that you're a principal person, right. And you want to go to DC to be that voice of reason and, and bring your experience, which I love. And I will also say that as someone who also was raised in a very middle-class family um, and pulled myself up by the bootstraps and got my education and, you know, think that I, I was able to be successful in my life um, having, I think, I think that politicians forget they, they are either playing to the elitist, right? You see Gavin Newsom and, um, you know, hanging out with Magic Johnson and either we want to surround ourselves by celebrities or um, trying to, and I think that that's pretty much all they want to do. I think it's, they're trying to bait people in lower classes to think that they're actually helping them and they're not. Um, and then we, in the middle class, just get 
completely forgotten about. So, and I think it, you, it having that and, and remembering that and remembering the feeling of putting yourself through school, of going to community college, I am with you on those vocational schools. I mean, yes. forget about that this whole fight um, that has been going on about free college tuition and, and Elizabeth Warren. Oh, God, I know I said her name. Oh, it's like the screen is going to shatter. <laughs> but, um, you know, saying about free college tuition, why don't we talk about vocational schools and actually having folks educated for a trade so they can go out and give them business classes, provide business classes. So that way they know how to run their own business. So that way we have more small businesses and more entrepreneurs. And that is such a, that is so much better than saying free tuition, go to school, get educated, even though you're not meant to ever go to college. That's, that's my feeling. Um, yes, you're right. So, I don't disagree with anything you say. Right? I mean, it's just, it, it's such a farce. And that's why we need someone like you who says, hey, wait a second. <laughs> have we, you know, have we thing, thought I about other this. alternatives? Right. Yeah, I live this. I live this. And and for me, again, and, you know, I'll just move on with the, the, you know, the gender thing. But for me, it was a struggle. There are other people that struggle. And I understand those struggles. I understand how a single mother, I was a single mom. I raised my son as a single mother and commanded twice while I was a commander. So I was sort of a mom to a lot of people at the same time, (laughs) but I was a single mom to my son. So I understand that. My son was the last kid at the soccer field in the middle of the night, waiting with the coach so many times, you know, me rushing to get out out of work. I get that. I get that feeling as a parent that you feel like I'm just not good enough. I'm not doing the right thing. And then to turn around and, you know, he wasn't doing so well in school. He has a, he had a situation. He's actually my adopted son. And um, he had a situation where he struggled because of his life before. So when I found out he was doing not so well, I would go to the school and I'd say, why aren't you telling me these things? And of course, at that time, what did they say? Well, that's the parent's responsibility. Now they're telling you that it's not your responsibility. You know, this is the kinds of things that anger me when I, as a parent, am going out of my way to try to do the right thing. I think these parents that are getting into their children's business and getting into their children's school are doing the right thing and they ought to be applauded for that. Not, what are they called, domestic terrorists? You, you know, and Jennifer, this, I understand people having two points of view, but to call someone a domestic terrorist that's just way too far, way, way too far. And, and we've got to get back to a place of sanity soon. And I, I said this at one of my speeches, my kickoff. One of my biggest challenges as a Repu- as a you know, congresswoman is going to be finding the middle ground again. Nobody knows where there is that is anymore. And no, we're going no. to have, yep, gonna have to do it. Yeah, no one knows where that middle ground is. And it and it takes, but it takes uh, it takes a leader, right? It takes someone who says, hey, listen, everyone, it takes a commander. It takes, listen, yeah. my, you know, my whole thing about getting more women elected to office is that we make better negotiators because we have to negotiate deals in our own homes every single night, right? From the time that they're babies, you know, eat your carrots, get into the bathtub, right? Go to sleep. It's always a negotiation. And then you are presented with adults who misbehave and you want to put them in timeout. <laughs> so yeah. how do we how do we figure out resolutions? Sure. And I think most women make really good elected officials. I think moms 
make awesome elected officials because we have to do that all the time. Um, And I do think that there, there is still, you know, such a, look, if there was no gender issue anymore, we would have more than 20%, 27% of women elected to Congress. However, in, you know, from the days of the Clinton days to now, over the past, what, 20 something years, we have only had an uptick of 7% of women in Congress. That not, Those numbers are not much better throughout the country and state legislatures like ours in Massachusetts and one of the most liberal places in the country, supposedly, we still have under 30% in our, in our state house. And so I think that until those numbers change, we're always going to be the underdog. We're always going to be left behind. We're always going to be forgotten about. And so we need leaders who step up, who run, because what we know is that when women run, they win at an equal rate to men. And as long as we have a good message, right? And I think the the messaging today is, you know, and especially for us, I mean, I, I, I became a Republican because I have an inner 16 year old right? My inner 16 year old says, don't you tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> but that's true. I mean, and if I, people told me what to do and what not to do, I would never be where I am today. I mean, when my father found out I was going into the military, I think he cried. You know, he was like, oh my gosh. And my brothers were angry at me until I made rank. Once I made rank and they saw I was legit, they were so proud of me. Like my sister's a sergeant, you know, um, but, you know, one of the things, Jennifer, that you talked about was the negotiation. You not only, you know, our women, and I agree wholeheartedly, negotiators, but I have had in my capacity as being a senior officer, had to negotiate. People think I get to order people around. It doesn't work that way. You have to negotiate. I was a hospital administrator. I had to negotiate every day in order to reach out to the civilians and other hospitals and, and really any kind of support service to make sure that my people were taken care of, that my soldiers, my airmen were taken care of properly. So every day I did this. I almost feel running for office is the very, very same thing. It's up to me to reach out and network with people the best I can to make sure that the things that the people in District 4, the people that are here in in the area that I'm going to serve, that I'm able to deliver those things for them the absolutely best that I can. That's the way I've been since the day I joined the military, probably even before that. My, my sister and brothers will probably tell you, but I will continue to do and to work that way and to negotiate with people the best I can. There is middle ground. There is. There, there is, and there needs to be more people working on it. I, you know, I find today... There's so much hypocrisy. There's so much hypocrisy on both sides, right? And you just want to say, look, you know, so um, interesting, a couple of things that have come up in the news recently. So uh, Congressman Jamie Raskin of Delaware, 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 Maryland, I think he's Delaware, the president's home state. Um, His wife is up for a federal reserve position and uh, she sold about 200,000 shares of a stock made $1.5 million. And there is uh, this um, thing in Congress called the Stock Act, where they need to report within 45 days of any earnings. And they cannot, them or their families, cannot make money off of insider information, which sounds reasonable because you and I couldn't make money off of insider information. Not sure why they should. So um, they did not report for eight months until he was caught 
on it, right? So he's being slapped with an ethics investigation. But when Kelly Loeffler in New Georgia was running for Congress, it was a big deal. She was not an elected official. She was a candidate. And it was a big deal about what she knew and, and how much she, um, she had sold stocks for. Maybe she was, she was just fulfilling a term. So she, you know, so it was a big deal. And it, it hung like, a, you know, around her neck the entire time that she was running for office. So, you know, hypocrisy one, Brian Seltzer from CNN, uh, saying that, you know, CNN is a real news station, they have real news and that, you know, nothing to see here. Well, if that happened over at Fox or Newsmax or any of the more conservative stations, right, that would have been a big blow up. Oh, my God, look at all of the newscasters and the hosts that are talking and saying that there's nothing to see here. Go see something else. We see that with, again, with the governor of California, the mayor of a city of Los Angeles. We see that with Nancy Pelosi, maskless, yet mask our children, right? Yep, and the yep. hypocrisy. And in the meantime, but we see, you know, we, it's not, look, it's not like Republicans are insulated from behaving badly. We, there are lots of Republicans that Absolutely. behave badly and, and say bad things. And so at the end of the day, what we need are new people. We need new people in office. We need new ideas. We need fresh blood. Um, and, you know, that doesn't apply to the ones who have just been elected over the past couple of years. That applies to, you know, move some people out who, you have your feet stuck in the ground, you don't want to negotiate, and you just call out the other side for all the bad. But what I want to know as an American and as a voter is, what are you doing for me in the future? Not what have you done for me lately? What are you doing for me in the future? (laughs) And so stop, stop the nonsense of the throwing bombs at each other. Why don't we sit and have conversations and figure out for the voters? Because, you know, once you get elected to office, then you are beholden to your constituency. Your constituency is neither Republican nor Democrat. Your constituency is everyone that would live in your congressional district. And so you are responsible to those folks. And so I think we need more people who are just, you know, bringing people together, saying, sit down, be quiet. <laughs> I'm going to send you to your room if you don't sit down and listen to us. And I think that you you have the background to do it. Now, why would you why would you do Congress over the state legislature? Well, I think um, I have I was on my city council for a while because that's where I first dipped my toe, so to say, into um, what I would consider. I don't want to say public service because I feel like it's an extension of it, um, but it was a different kind of public service, and I just realize that all my 30 years of experience is all geared towards congressional level experience or the majority of it. So as I moved up the rank, I gave testimony via my generals who are on the front lines. And oftentimes I I was actually called into uh, the Secretary of Health Affairs at the Pentagon because of my personal knowledge of some uh, healthcare issue that was going on in in, uh, New Mexico. So I am very used to working in that environment. I realize what goes on because there was sometimes a stroke of a pen that changed things, things that I had been working very hard on and trying to negotiate at a local level in New Mexico. Then I get reassigned and I come to Washington, D.C. And all of a sudden there's a stroke of a pen because somebody's on the 
Armed Services Committee. And I said to myself, so this is how it works. And I think there needs to be accountability. I was in the trenches, if you would. I was the recipient of that hard work and then also felt a little bit of the regret that my hard work and what we did. And basically, there's people at the end of these decisions, real people. Now, here I am, this real person who worked on this one issue. And now at the highest level, I'm finding out that things can change because somebody owes somebody something. And I said, that doesn't sit, doesn't sit well with me. And I want to be part of that change. I want to be an honest broker. I've always been an honest broker. And like, I, I like your comment, we are not above, we're not above the law, so to say. We've all made mistakes in our lives. God knows I've made mine, but I hope that the mistakes that I've made in my life have taught me and helped me to become where I am today. I think when you have personal experiences with things, that is what guides you and moves you forward to want to do the right thing. Hallelujah. Right or not. Okay. (laughs) I mean, whether you made a good decision or bad decision, I made many decisions, obviously, being in the military and running healthcare. Um, I've have had to, you know, work with parents where their children could not get services because they were experimental. And you know, as a parent, you'd do anything in your power to try to, you know, save your child's life. And I've had to be on the other end of that, telling them we just can't provide for those services. And, you know, being told, oh, well, you're gonna, my child's gonna die because of you. Now, I, I knew that that was not true, but yet at the same time, it doesn't make you feel good. It makes you work harder. It makes you say, hey, I'm in a system that maybe I don't like the way things are going, but I got to stay here. I got to stay here and I got to change it and I got to make it better for people um, that are there. And then there's also that uncomfortableness. Sometimes you are in an uncomfortable situation where you have to tell the truth. I have been there many times. I would never turn around and tell a parent, oh, no, you know, we'll do everything we can. And I would never do that. And I said to myself, I won't do that. I will tell the truth and then I will turn around and tell them that I myself will do what I can do in my power to help them. And I will continue to be that kind of person. I will tell you the truth. If I can't do, you know, what's, what, what is in the system or the limitations of the system, I will try to find a way to help you in one way or another. And I have done this. And a lot of people have gone on a few talk shows and with Democrats that know me. And they said they don't always subscribe to my politics, but they have said, that they do trust me. That is the biggest compliment I think I've ever gotten in my life. And I will stand by that. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, again, goes back to our politicians today that are not trustworthy, right? It goes back to the playing games with the science for political purposes that politicians are able to get doctors to say what they want because it fits in. And, and again, regardless of what side you're on, it's, it's playing politics on both sides instead of the honesty that we need. And we need honest brokers out there and we need people with integrity. We need people that we can trust. And that is a very high honor because look, we, you know, not, you know, I know, right. It's very difficult to agree with a spouse, a partner, a parent, a child, a hundred percent of the time. If you can't agree with people who live in your home, 100% of the time, how the heck are you going to agree with a complete stranger? 80% of the time or 70% of the time. Right. But the most important thing is you trust the other person to make good decisions for especially elected officials, for everyone that they represent. You think that the person is 
intelligent, that the person has integrity, right? I, I think that those are, things. those are things that would be wonderful. <laughs> you know, and Jennifer, here's the thing I say whenever I'm out speaking to people, what are you, the most important thing is integrity and honesty because those you can't teach people. You cannot you can teach me to do a budget. You can hire people to tell me about national security, but you cannot teach somebody how to have integrity and values. Those are things that come with you by your parents being, you know, your upbringing. I have seen, though, I have to tell you, in the military, I have seen children and, and adults from all over different walks of life, very, very hard upbringings. And I've seen them come together as a team and share values together. The first thing that we're taught when we go into the military is you are special because you are you have integrity. You have to tell the truth. You know, it's hard. And I always say to people, the hardest thing to do is to tell the truth when nobody's looking to do it of your own accord. It is hard. Um, I used to go with the D.A.R.E. program. That was my message to the kids all the time. Tell the truth. Have courage. Because my father told me that. That's what he said. It's a liar is worse than a thief. I just remember my mother saying that, too. A liar is worse than a thief. It, it absolutely is. And I, and I feel like, um, again, going back to my examples, right? We have in Massachusetts, we have Elizabeth Warren who um, with the, you know, free, free college tuition. But what she doesn't want anyone to know is that as an adjunct professor at Harvard, she was making about $360,000 a year, not as a full tenured professor, but as an adjunct. My feeling is if you were in academia, in any sort of academia, whether it's, it's um, primary school or college, you are doing it because you really believe in teaching the next generation, right? Just like a politician, you're not there to make money. You're there because of the public service. It's the same thing in the military. It's the same thing. If you're a police officer or a firefighter, you are, you are giving of yourself for other people. And that was a choice you made, right? You're not sitting in a, in a C-suite somewhere making a ton of money where you've already sold your soul to the devil. <laughs> that's, that's on, that's on one side yeah. and that's, no, and that's fine. And by the way, you know, if you are in the C-suite and, and you're making lots of money, good for you and God bless you. Right? right. But, but our tax dollars shouldn't go to it or our dollars that we spend on education shouldn't go to that. And so that, that always becomes my thing is, is the hypocrisy, right. And the hypocrisy is, where you see the lack of trust, the lack of integrity, the lack of honesty, because it's all embedded in that. So well, when there's statements that are untrue, then you know where do where do you go from there? And so I think it's really important for women who are considering running for office. Why wouldn't or not considering running for office? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you do it? Exactly. Because exactly. you have to be honest in your everyday life. Everything right. you do is pretty much like an open book. And, and your so kids are going to call you out. And your kids are <laughs> right. Exactly. Your kids are going to call you out. Your mother is going to call those, you out. You have those kids that call you out. Yes. Right. Yeah, it's true. You know, one of the points that I make with people and it, I'll tell you, freedom and independence is so important to me. Now, listen, I came from an environment where people would say, oh, but you could told rules, rules all the time. It would, I felt more free in that environment because I knew the circumstances of my actions. I knew, you know, where my rewards would come. And we had a level playing field. Now, let me explain that. Salary, which is the biggest thing when you find in healthcare, 
that that is the biggest part of any budget is people's salary. The difficulty when you go to a socialistic society is just what we're talking about here is that eventually if people were all wonderful people and we all just wanted to share, that might work, but I have not seen it work anywhere. People are greedy and you can already see in this country that there is a creation or a shrinkage of the middle class. We're losing our rights. Who do, you, do they think that these decisions affect? The people that are out working and making money. Where are you going to get your taxes from? Well, you see them struggling to get taxes from people that are, you know, highly affluent because they can find loopholes. But, you know, and I, I do want to say something about that. You can never judge where a person's money comes from and how hard they've worked to get to that. So I don't begrudge anybody being successful. That's the United States of America. So I will also respect them for what they've done. But I am a middle-class person. That's who I feel have not been represented. And I also feel very strongly that these decisions, these hypocrisies that are coming down, the collateral damage is being done on the middle class because we are the ones that are working. We have money. So the more of this, the more of these social programs, if you would, and I worked in one of the largest socialized medical systems in the world. United States military is a 100% taxpayer paid healthcare system. I have seen what these problems are going to be when we start to judge and we start to make decisions like we did with the vaccines of who is in and who is out. When the money isn't there anymore, we're going to decide what we're going to pay for and what we're not going to pay for. This is a travesty. Please, people, look at what happened. Whether you agree with what happened, whether you agree whether people got vaccinated or shouldn't get vaccinated for the greater good or whatever, nobody should be treated like they are less than somebody else. Because when you do that and you take that attitude, as we have done in the military, and I'm using this because I've seen it, when we fight against other people, we dehumanize them. Why? Because it's easier for us to go out there and fight them, not to be done by our own citizens in the United States of America ever, ever. That made me so angry. Please, please don't allow this to happen. We are allowing people to already put Americans into a you know separate group, and then we're going to call them bad. We're going to call them bad because they appreciate the Constitution that's been working for 245 years. We're going to call them bad because they want to make a choice. And now we're finding out after the fact what people knew from the beginning. This thing has such a high rate of survival. We should have been focusing our attention. This is just me. I'm not a doctor. 30 years in the healthcare field. We should have learned very quickly that the preventative was not the correct way, it wasn't working. The masks weren't working. The injections weren't working. We should have quickly flipped and pivoted to treatments and to keeping people alive that did get COVID. Again, that's just my opinion. I am not a world-renowned doctor, but I have been in the medical field. I've seen SARS before. This is not the first time that we've seen this. So another reason why I'm running is I have that experience. I think we need people like myself that aren't just coming on the scene and trying to figure out why is this happening? I have had a pattern of, it, of dealing with these kinds of challenges and doing very, very well at finding solutions for them. I will continue to do that. And I tell people, if you don't believe me, go look at my military record. I did succeed. I was very successful at what I did and I will continue to do that. So it's, um, I love that you have this experience that you have seen so many different walks of life, that you understand um, the plights of people, 
in a, in a different way because of that military service. And I think that it's, um, it's so commendable to, to have had the life that you have had and still want to give of yourself in this way. But in reality, right, we do live in Massachusetts. And, yes. Um, yes. you know, for, um, for my, you know, for my friend who's listening right now and is wondering, you know, lives in New Jersey and wonders, okay, seriously, living in a blue state, yeah. what, we get attacked all the time for our views, Right. And I feel like every time something happens in Congress, there's something in the, you know, federally that happens. I get I get messages from people saying, are you ready to come to this side yet? Or are you embarrassed by this? And I'm thinking this is just because this happens with one person or it's, you know, a Republican messaging. We have that in Massachusetts, you know, and it's like, you see the messaging isn't, isn't right. How, what do you say to the woman out there who says, I would love to run for office, but there's either no party structure or I'm embarrassed by Trump or I love Trump and I don't want to let anyone know. I, right. We go through all this every day. I mean, yes, you, yes. We, can, we can talk about this. Been and, labeled, you know, right. So, so yeah. So you, so you get labeled, you get yeah. a label, you want to put yourself out there, but you're thinking, how do I counter, how, how do I have a counterattack of, you know, I say, take the mask off my kid and someone else says, you're going to kill my mother. Right. <laughs> right. No, so, exactly. so what, what do you I've give, there. what are your sure. tips as, as someone who, at the end of the day, we hope that, you know, elections are really democratic and we pick the best person for the job. So, you know, when you're running in the general election and you say, you know, pick me over the incumbent, um, what do you say to the woman out there why she should, one, get involved in in a very uncomfortable situation where she may be a, a Republican in a Democratic state? Um, and two, what so lessons learned, why would you do it? And then on the other end, it would be what is what do you think the top issues in 2022 for this election cycle are going to be for women like you? Sure, sure. Thank you. Um, well, I think the first thing, let me tackle the Republican in, in the state of Massachusetts. So, um, yeah, it is tough. And I call myself a conservative. I'm a very conservative. I came from a different background, obviously, than most people. I've had to work with people of all different genders, all different colors, all different religions. Um, you know, really, we have Muslims that served. So, and I had to lead them and I had to ensure because of my leadership, that they were treated fairly and equitably. So that's the thing. You also, as a Republican, as a conservative, should demand, demand to be treated fairly and equitably and to for people to respect your experience. I had to have people, you know, I remember when I first ran the first time, it's like, oh, she's a Trump loyalist, which aggravated me to think that somebody would insinuate that my mind is being controlled by another person. How dare you? After 30 years of experience being a single mom, raising a child, you're going to try to tell me that my, I mean, two master's degrees, I mean, I could go on and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just saying, how dare you? But you can see that is not a Republican or a Democratic viewpoint. That is just a very, what I would consider ignorant 
viewpoint and disrespectful viewpoint to a woman. So remember that whether you're a Democrat or a Republican woman, woman running, don't let anybody put you in check. That's what I said. Don't let anybody put you in check. Don't let them disrespect you because they're going to try to do that with every bit of lobbing of a bomb that they could possibly do. I went through 30 years of it and I'm not going to tolerate that out here. And I want all women to say the same thing. You raised children. You went through heck raising those kids. Don't you dare let anybody tell you that you're not competent and that you don't have a mind of your own. Oh my gosh, I'm just like, how could people even think of doing something like that? So, <laughs> so take that anger, yep. you know, take that passion, <laughs> and go out there and fight. So that's the first thing. I also believe that there are issues that transcend any party, and that's the safety of your children and your communities. And if you look on the, the news, or don't even, you can just see, even see what's going on. I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican or an independent, a mother, you want your children to be safe. Number one, I don't think there's anybody that can disagree with that. And in order to do that, we have to support our police. Yes, there were, there are bad people in every organization. There were bad people in the military. Okay, mm -hmm. we get this. But we have to support those people that protect us. We should be giving them more funds. I mean, I could go on and on. I've been part of the, the, the D.A.R.E. program. I see that there are children that tell those D.A.R.E. officers things they wouldn't tell anyone else, not even their parents. They're so important, the role. That is the role that I feel our public servants in the law enforcement should be playing also. They should be out there trying to help prevent crimes, not just arresting people. And if you listen to some of these Massachusetts police officers, I think Massachusetts in particular was ahead of its time. Uh, they have a, te a team called the POP team, problem-oriented problem policing, where they go out and try to help people at the, what I call the tip of the spear. And I'm all for that, but nobody hears about the good things that they do. So those are things. So those are issues. Childcare, who during COVID, raise your hand, which one of you left your job Okay, and I, I know people say, oh, well, my, I make more money than my husband, so we decided I was going to stay. I would really like to know at the numbers how many women left their good jobs because they had to stay home and watch the kids because the teachers weren't in school teaching, still aren't, okay, left their good jobs and will never find their way back into that level again. That's a travesty to me. Those are issues that women are going to have to deal with. The child care issues... I feel I'll be very partisan, uh, excuse me, nonpartisan or bipartisan is the word. Definitely. I will work with other people about childcare because I feel that is an issue and how we resolve good childcare for people is going to be something we're going to have to work very, very hard on because parents need options for good childcare and schools, school choice. You should be able to send your child where you want. If you want to homeschool your child. I think there was a big mistake made here by the teachers not getting back into school. I understand that they wanted to be cautious. I get that. But it, what happened is they pulled their children out of the school. Parents did because they were angry. Those kids are never coming back again. Big clue here. And guess what? You get funded per capita. Yeah. There's going to be a huge disconnect in the budget. It's, you know, Julie, that's, you make such great points. And I think that that's, you know, ultimately what I try to get to is, what are talking points that are not divisive, right? But they're inclusive of everyone. And, you know, what you said about the fair and equitable treatment, it is, you know, don't think that, don't let the, the media, don't let 
politicians tell you that, you know, your your rights are going to be stripped away from you. You know, be smarter than that. Don't don't let anyone else control the narrative. You control the narrative. Right. And, And have that fair and equitable treatment of everyone. And I think one of the problems today in society is that we have allowed nonprofit organizations out there. We have allowed the mainstream media out there. We have allowed politicians to hijack a narrative and taken it out of our control and it made everyone very disrespectful to each other. And instead of having that old school respect, like we have and understanding that everyone is different and we should appreciate and respect their differences and agree to disagree it is that we have to have hatred and this fear mongering that goes on. And it's, you know, it, it goes back, like you said, child's care, child's care is totally a nonpartisan issue. Having your kids educated in the way you want them to be educated. It is a nonpartisan issue to have quality housing. It's a nonpartisan issue. Policing folks in when I ran for city council and you have some tough parts in your district, When I ran for city council, the folks that lived in the part of the city that had housing projects, public housing, they didn't want there to not be police. They need the police. They're raising their families there. They have lived there. Their parents, their elderly parents live there. They need the police to make sure that they're okay. And there are bad people everywhere doesn't matter the color of your skin and it doesn't matter what your job is because I, I use this all the time. If you're white trash, you're white trash. Doesn't matter how you dress you or how you educate you. It is, that is just what you are. Right. And so it doesn't matter the color of your skin. And by the way, for any of you who are out there, I am white, I'm Italian and I'm Syrian, I'm Sicilian and Syrian. And yes, I, so I can, I do make those comments. Right. And so I just think that um, it is it, we we need to stop being so disrespectful and we need to go back to thinking of the teachings that we all had when we went to Sunday school or we went to religious school, whatever your religion is. There is every faith is based on the same, you know, everything is predicated upon the same idea, which is that God loves us. We were all created the same. We need to be kind. We need to right. if we go back to the commandments, you know, whereas love thy neighbor and do unto others as you would have them do unto you and right and on and on and on. And we've lost that. And I feel like yeah, I we, we need people out there who are going to even if they're not running for office communicate that message, communicate that message to the person who comes at you with hate um, and vitriol for your political beliefs or, or doesn't want to talk to you and just say, can't we just get back to a place? We teach our kids respect. We respect our, our parents. We respect our elders. We should be doing that across the board. No, I, I, I thoroughly agree. And again, my, you know, interesting, my, my father was kind of an interesting person. He came from also from a large family and for all boys, his father died when they were very young. And in those families, one of them was supposed to go into the priesthood. So my father actually got educated and you would think that he was driving down our throats, you know, but he was just a very common sense and logical person who just told, like I said, told us, showed us, showed us. We never had to ask and he never had to say. He was always the person who reached his hand out to somebody who was different. I mean, we would find our at our big table, you know, my father would reach out to somebody that you could tell was just off the street. They probably stunk a gin. He would fight them to our table at the restaurant. And we would all cringe saying, oh, who's he going to sit next to? 
And my father would be, you know, sort of staring us down like this is a child of God. This is however my father was thinking it worked because he showed us how to do the right thing instead of having to tell us how to do the right thing. And I was very, I'm very grateful to have that upbringing. Um, but I think you're, you're spot on is people are just so divisive with each other to a, a, a level of nastiness that, we, again, we have to fix it. You know, we've all probably been there and said things at certain times like this one's crazy, that one's crazy. But, you know, we're all human beings and we all have to realize that we have faults and that's hard because we want to make sure that other. But it goes back to what I was saying before. If we dehumanize or we get to the point where we're dehumanizing each other. We have seen in our history, you look at the Germans and the Jews of what can happen when you dehumanize populations of individuals and what, how far we're willing to go when we do that. Please, please see this. And I know people say this all the time. Oh, we're, this is what's going on. It is what's going on. Absolutely. So please don't, we do not want to be there ever again. That is a bad thing. You saw what happened with black populations the inhumanities that we'll do to each other. Again, I'm in an environment where, you know, that's the way we do things sometimes. I get that. But we do not have to see that here amongst our neighbors. That is absolutely insane. This is not to be done amongst our neighbors or any of our communities. Let's get this back together again because we're going in a bad direction. Uh, We need to move forward. The other thing, I I also have a background in, in behavioral health which helps. <laughs> oh, definitely. Uh, I think that there are a couple of people elected to office that maybe need assistance. Julie, it has been, it has been yeah. so awesome having you on this episode of Political Contessa. I really appreciate you, well, thank you giving yeah. your time. I know it's tough to get off the campaign trail and, and spend some time doing this, but Um, I think that you have a really interesting background and my hope is to educate my listener and um, to see that women of all backgrounds can run for office. You can do it too. And, and to have ways to be able to communicate. It's not just all, um, you know, it's not hate. Politics isn't about hate. It's about being able to negotiate and collaborate and respect the other person and, and know you work for people who, who need the voice there. So, um, Julie Hall, thank you very much for being with me. And thank you for listening to Political Contessa. This is Jennifer Nassor. I hope that you stay happy, healthy, and safe. Thanks so much for listening to Political Contessa. For all the ways to listen and to get the inside scoop on what's happening in center-right politics for women like us, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Contessa.com.